Hi, I'm Rick Schwartz. Buenos dias, world. I'm Marco Wendt. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization which oversees the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. Ooh, Rick, July is almost over, and that means International Tiger Day is right around the corner. I know, I know, Marco. It's pretty exciting, and I must admit, I am really kind of over-the-top excited about this episode for tigers. Oh, yeah, you feeling that energy? Why is that? I mean, aside from the obvious fact that tigers are pretty amazing animals. Well, honestly, Marco, it goes back to a childhood love for them. I truly just love them at my core. I always have. Yes, of course, bintrongs are my favorite. But in addition to that, in all fairness, my very first report I did in elementary school was about cheetahs. However, it was soon after that I fell head over heels in love for tigers. I obsessed over tigers for years. In fact, I'd go so far as to say they were my favorite animal until I met and worked with my first bintrong at the San Diego Zoo. And for those of you who don't know, a bintrong is a carnivore that lives like an omnivore, spends time in the trees, has a prehensile tail, it's found in the jungles of Southeast Asia. And they're pretty chill, pretty cool. Oh, and by the way, when they mark their territory, instead of it smelling like stuff we don't like, it smells like buttered popcorn. So what's not to love? <laughs> <laughs> we may have to circle back to that report on cheetahs. I really want fair to know enough, about fair that. Enough. I had no idea you were such a tiger fan, friend. I can see why you love them, honestly. I mean, they're so powerful and stunning, just incredible predators. Oh, yeah, and their colorations, their fire-like reddish-orange and those stripes, their stealth in the jungle, everything. I mean, you look at their faces, and somehow they're both regal and adorable all at the same time. <laughs> all right, all right, I get it. Now, clearly, the topic of tigers has tapped into that inner child, that little Rick. For me, you know, it really was like Tony the Tiger, ah, and, yeah. and, right? And remember Shere Khan in the yes. Jungle Book? Oh, my gosh, yes. Love Shere Khan. But, you know, that really introduced me to tigers as a kid, and to be fair, there's a lot more to tigers than just really, really liking them, right? I know, I know, but sometimes I just can't help myself. <laughs> hey, it, it's all right, man. I, I totally get it. I feel the same way when it comes to birds. So right, I feel you. right. I get that. I get that. <laughs> but like I said, though, International Tiger Day. Now, sometimes it's called Global Tiger Day. It's July 29th this year, the day after this episode goes live. And as much as you and I and a lot of other people love the tigers, I mean, they really need our help. And international days of celebration like Tiger Day are so important to help raise awareness about the challenges tigers face in the wild. Oh, good point, Marco. Very good point. And sometimes the best way to raise awareness is to have people learn more about tigers in general. For instance, our wildlife care specialists who take care of the tigers know so much, and not just about the species they take care of, but about the individual tigers as well. Oh, I think I see where you're going with this, friend. And lucky for us, I just happen to know a wildlife care specialist at the safari park who takes care of tigers at Tiger Trail. Perfect. <laughs> I am Lori Heber. I am a lead wildlife care specialist for the primate carnivore team. I help with both the primate and the carnivore side. My focus tends to be a little bit more on the carnivore side of things, the large cats. Speaking of large cats, that's what we want to talk to you about. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? It's World Tiger Day coming up, and we are currently sitting. In fact, our audience might even hear some noise in the background. We're sitting in the long house, which is the public viewing area of the tigers at Tiger Trails at the Safari Park. Lori, how long have you worked with tigers? 
this year it's going to be 15 years for me. 15 years. 15 years. Yeah, I feel pretty fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And did you start off in working in wildlife care or did you start in a different department out of curiosity? Because everyone has a different origin story yeah, when it comes to the alliance, right? So I actually got my start at San Diego. I'm working in the guest relations department. Oh. So selling memberships to folks and dealing with guest concerns, things of that nature. And then from there, I started getting some loans in wildlife care. So I worked with primates down at the zoo for about six months. I was fortunate enough to work here with our condors for about six months and then eventually got my permanent position here with the large cats. And just to put in perspective what a loan means in our organization many moons ago, when you worked in one department, you could be loaned out to another department to gain experience within what the organization does. And that's a really great opportunity for so many people like yourself, Lori, to have been able to now transition and 15 years later still working with wildlife like you are. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the variety and experiences prior to starting the interview, we were all just talking about our background and exposures of different species. I had no idea you worked with condors. That's I did, amazing. I did, yeah. I know. And yeah. I know you and I worked together in our Australia habitat, right? We did. You, you were working with the tree kangaroo. Yes. And I know from just knowing you for so long that tigers are really special to your heart, right? They are, absolutely. And I mean, it's been so kind of illuminating and educational to work with so many different taxa. And I feel so fortunate to have had that experience here. It's given me a lot of insight into different species and how differently they function and what interacting with them is like, how much that can vary from one type of animal to another. So yeah, it's been a long, interesting road, but absolutely, I'm so excited to be here still working with the cats. I love them. What is it about the tigers that puts them at that spot in your heart where, yes, you've worked with a wide variety of species, some amazing, some critically endangered, not that these tigers aren't endangered as well, but what is it about the tiger that has your heart? I mean, I think at first glance, just their absolute beauty, you know, after 15 years of seeing them practically every day, I'll still find myself kind of just looking at them in awe at how stunning they are. And I think that's why a lot of people are so sort of entranced by them, just kind of their primal nature. The fact that in many respects, I mean, obviously tigers are in no way a pet, but in many respects, a cat is a cat is a cat, you know? So we all have that (laughs) kind of personal experience with cats in our own lives and that we have at home. And it's just kind of awe-inspiring to look at the tigers or the lions and to see so many commonalities in their behaviors. And I think having that insight that we have just from our interactions with our domestic cats gives us an ability to sort of read tiger behavior, maybe on a different level than some of the other taxa that are a little bit more foreign to us. I want to touch on real quick, I think you bring up a really good point where a lot of times I know just working with cats myself in my history, people look at them and go, oh, it's just like my cat at home. And I I always say, no, no, no. Your cat at home is a smaller version of this cat. This is not a bigger version of your domestic cat. Very true. Because the the house cat can obviously, if it is outside, it can cause a lot of damage. They're very efficient predators and they can become feral very easily, meaning they can survive on their own. So I always like to point out to people that something like a tiger is not just a big version of your house cat. That your house cat is a smaller version of a very effective predator. Exactly. Exactly. That's very true. Yeah. And even that, you know, it's interesting to see when you go home and see your cat at home to see those little glimmers of... uh, (laughs) Kind of their their wild origin, you know, it's really neat. The tiger within, so to speak, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, we're talking domestics versus the tiger, the lion, but even within tiger family, they vary in size, right? Could you talk a little bit about the the variation in the, the sizes for the different tigers out there? 
Yeah, yeah. So there are a few tiger subspecies, actually. Mm -hmm. There used to be eight, and they come from various parts of the world. So the tigers that we have here at the safari park are Sumatran tigers, and they are the only subspecies of tiger left that comes from an island. So that makes them the smallest of the tigers that are out there, because generally when you're from an island, you're quite a bit smaller. So Dumai, our guy behind us, is about 250 pounds. But then you compare them to the largest type of tiger. Those are the Amor tigers previously referred to as Siberian tigers, so some folks might be familiar with that name, but they're from a very different climate. So as opposed to a tropical climate with a lot of foliage, they're from kind of the Russian Far East, where it's a very different, you know, landscape, and um, consequently they grow to be quite a bit larger. So those males can, you know, certainly hit, I believe, 500, even tails of 600 pounds, if not larger. And so it's just kind of fascinating that tigers are certainly the biggest of the big cats, but the average lion tends to be bigger than the average tiger just because of how Mm -hmm. much variety there is within the tiger subspecies. Yeah, it's the adaptability of it too. And you think of all these communities too that live alongside tiger species. As you mentioned, the Siberian, now the Amor tiger is the largest of all the cats out in the world. But there's communities that live side by side with these animals in Asia, India, Sumatra is an example. And it speaks to the work that we do here to help out with communities out there, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And that's a challenge is tigers and humans learning how to kind of cohabitate and live in the same landscape. And that's certainly some of the work that we've been involved in and have helped with is helping those communities establish safe boundaries in a sense, not only for themselves, but for their livestock, for their livelihood so that they can cohabitate peacefully and, and share the same space, the same region of the world. You know, exactly. It's a similar conversation, right? Right, going on in all aspects in the world. I think about like the wolf here in the United right. States, oh, yes. right? Yes. Uh, we were just talking about the Iwasu lions in Africa. And now right. with tigers here, one of the main things we got to work on, really, it's just that human to wildlife coexistence aspect, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in the tiger world, we refer to it as tiger-human conflict. And oh, depending yeah. on the subspecies, absolutely, that can be the biggest challenge for them to overcome to be able to maintain their population. So it's an important topic for sure. Yeah, definitely. The other part of the human-tiger connection going from the tiger-human conflict in the wild is also how our culture, especially here, I think, well, I mean, it might be international, but I grew up in the U.S., so the U.S. culture where the tiger's this revered, strong animal. You know, the gas stations used to have put a tiger in your tank, and, you know, you have the Sumatran coffee with the tiger on it. it <laughs> right. There's so many places you can look that the tiger is set up as this powerful, respectable species, which it absolutely should be. But also, Marco and I were talking beforehand how people, when they come to the zoo or safari park, they have their top five they want to see. And tiger's always on the list. You know, it's bear, it's lion, it's elephant, rhino, but tiger's in there always. And I think because the way we see them in marketing and advertising, there's this preconceived idea about them, whether it's how they move or the noises they make or things like that. What are some of the things you having worked with tigers for a long time, you interact with the public as well. What are some of the common maybe misnomers, mistakes or mythology you hear knowing what you know about tigers versus also interacting with our guests? I think a lot of our guests expect tigers to portray that kind of ferocious side of themselves. Because you said that's often what people kind of connotate with tigers is that ferocity, that intensity, that aggression sometimes, which is certainly a facet of a tiger personality, you know, as in any of our personalities, really. So I think people are most surprised when they come to the park and often see how relaxed the tigers are, how calm they are in the presence of other people. If folks are able to see a tiger interact with a wildlife care specialist, they see how 
positive and affiliative that interaction can be, how much we focus on positive reinforcement and building a really great relationship with the tigers to be able to take better care of them. I would say that's kind of the biggest disparity in what people expect when they're coming in versus right. what they actually see when they're here. Yeah, even growing up myself, I mean, I love kung fu movies, you know. <laughs> the, the, the one that had the, the style of the tiger, I was yeah. always into that one, and the eagle, of course, you know. Yeah. But it's that same idea, you know. I was walking prior to us doing the interview, and one of the tigers was just enjoying a little nap by the waterfall, and yes. everyone's having a beautiful moment. And it made me think, like, you know, it would be fair to say that these guys have their own personalities too, right? Can yes. you talk a little bit about the tigers that the guests would experience here at the safari park at Tiger Trail? Yes, absolutely. So we currently have four Sumatran tigers here at the safari park all very different from one another absolutely all demonstrate kind of a certain personality in a sense we have diana who is one of our females she is surprisingly kind of the least reactive the least maybe impressed with with people she is the most content in her own environment okay, okay. Um, even when we have folks down inside in the house in our bedrooms she tends to be the least reactive and in a sense is the most confident that way which is a fun element of her personality we have majel who is the oldest tiger that we have now and she was actually born here at the safari park oh. so she's been around for a while and has seen some other friends kind of come and go and because of that she has the longest history with us here she has the longest history with her care specialists. We've had the most time to work with her, so she has kind of the biggest behavioral repertoire of the cats, and she is the easiest to provide enrichment and toys for and things because we've had a very long time to develop that trust, so we know that we can trust her with certain things yeah. that she's not going to get herself into trouble with. For example, some of the things we give inside might be scented paper, cardboard, things like that. Majel can have all that stuff and does great with it, so she's a lot of fun to provide for in that way. And then we have Jillian, who is our third female here at the park. She came to us from San Francisco. And of the three girls, I would say she's kind of the most sensitive to her environment. Mm. So we take that into consideration as we're kind of planning her day, her week, her month, kind of strategizing. So she was the one that you saw lounging in the, the stream. Oh, that was her? We were actually oh. spying on her. From We have a great camera system where we can watch from just in our office as we're having our lunch. We can see what all the cats are doing. I'm watching her sit in the pool up top. So she's definitely enjoying her water features today. <laughs> And I think she enjoys being down there where she can be just a little bit further away from the rest of the house, a little bit further removed from the longhouse and um, have her own space. Mm -hmm. Lastly, we have Dumai, who is our only male currently here at the safari park. He's certainly very friendly, very kind of gregarious, very eager to interact with people, oh, okay. which is kind of a unique feature of him. So we enjoy that a lot about him. We're still getting to know him in some respects, and he came to us as a breeding male. So we're, we're relying on him for that as well. <laughs> I think it's cool that you were able to describe all four of them so uniquely. I know, right? And I know for a fact, some people might be surprised to hear that animals within a species have their own unique personalities. And I always like to point out to people, it's kind of like, you know, if you had four kids in the same family, every parent knows your kids have unique, distinct personalities. They're all related. They all came from the same parents, but they have their own personalities. And I think that's a really good way to kind of point out to people that, yeah, we could have X amount of 
individuals from a species, but they're all going to have their own personalities. And so That's I, exactly I, right. Yeah, I appreciate that you were able to describe that so well. Yeah, and to that point, I would say the four cats that we have have come from different backgrounds, different facilities. Like I said, Majel was the only one of the four who was born here. But when we've had litters, we see the same phenomenon. As you said, brothers and sisters, absolutely. Very, very different personalities within the same litter. And those are cats, obviously, you know, the nature-nurture components are identical, but their personalities can be night and day from one another. So it's a lot of fun to get to know them all as individuals and then kind of customize our care to help sort of optimize, you know, what we're doing for them. So it's a fun part of the, the gig for sure. You had talked about litters and we were talking about individual personalities. I know someone walking through here could probably see three to four tigers and not be able to tell them apart. In a litter of tigers or a group like you're taking care of now, how can you tell them apart? Well, tigers are easier than a lot of the species out there because of their stripe pattern, of course, and each stripe pattern is unique to each individual. So we all get to identify certain markings that stand out to us when we're looking at any cat. And, you know, with the litter, same thing. One of the first things that we'll do is go in, study them, study their faces, their different markings on maybe the top of their head or above their eye or on their tail or on their side and figure out, okay, that's the thing that I'm going to notice about this one individual to make sure I'm I'm looking at the right one. And so tigers are, are pretty unique that way. And it's one of those things that Even now, after working with a cat for a long time, we have an amazing group of photographers who catch great images of our cats from time to time, and we'll post them on Facebook, and they'll point out certain features or certain little designs that we hadn't seen. One of the fun ones was Diana. Someone pointed out that she has what looks like a little goldfish under her right eye, I Ah. believe. And once you see it, you can't stop seeing it. And it's so funny that I've been looking at her for this long, looking at all the different little flames, stripes, patterns, and had never noticed that. And so it's kind of like looking at a cloud that the longer you look at it, you can start to see different <laughs> different features and different designs. So it doesn't get boring. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and that's really cool. And that's something I encourage people, if they're, especially our members, coming back to the Safari Park more than once, if you're going to be by the tigers and hanging out, you see if you can start to recognize the different patterns that stripes offer up. And it's the same for most species with stripes or spots. They are unique to that individual. So once your mind can start seeing those unique aspects of that pattern, it allows you to identify them. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it just inspires so much passion and joy when I see guests come to Tiger Trail. I mean, earlier I was actually walking around just watching guests admire the tigers here. And I started actually asking the children in the area, you know, I'm about to speak with one of our tiger specialists. Like, what would you ask our specialist if you had the opportunity? And I had a really fun one that I wanted to throw out to you, Laurie. Okay. Let's see. And okay. it was like favorite tiger vocals because we were just talking about that right tigers they do more than just the roar right that everyone talks about can you talk a little bit about that yeah yeah yeah. tigers actually have kind of a broad repertoire of vocalizations and Mm -hmm. they can express a lot of different emotions through them for sure so people think of the roar which can be associated either with aggression or sometimes just sort of territoriality and we'll hear that from time to time we also hear a kind of a long call which sounds a bit like a roar but you can sort of tell by its nature that it's not necessarily aggressive, but it travels a great distance. And we usually associate that with a territoriality as well. Interestingly, we know that if it goes on for an extended period, that's usually one of our telltale signs that one of our females is in estrus and might be ready for breeding. And oh. sometimes the male will then reciprocate. So that's very informative for us as the care specialist. So it's something that we pay attention to. But then some of the other vocalizations that they have, my favorite, if you ask, was called a chuff. Oh, okay. Or depending on where you are, some folks might refer to it as a prussin sound, Preston, P-R-U-S-T-E-N. But the chuff is my favorite sound because it's kind of a friendly greeting. 
And it means that the cat is happy and happy to see you. So sometimes a cat will do that in response to us. Sometimes when we have cats that like one another or cubs greeting a mom or vice versa, they'll do that in response to one another. Or a male and female, when they're coming together to howdy, which means they have just mesh between them, they'll chuff at one another so we can kind of get a sense of what the vibe is for the day. So that's my favorite for sure. And then in addition to that, they have other little sounds that they'll throw in um, that kind of sometimes sound like little yowls or even little chirps and things like that. So they mix it up a little bit and it's a lot of fun. And again, very individualistic. Very often when we hear a cat vocalizing in the house, we can tell who it is based on the sounds that they're making in their own voice. Again, just like a parent can yep. hear their kid make a certain noise <laughs> yep. in a room and they know exactly which child <laughs> yep. did what. Exactly. Yeah. The tiger version of mom, mom, mommy, right. mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it, you guys. And just to aspect to you, I was just having this conversation earlier that all wildlife communicates. We just have to learn how to listen, right? Yes, and you exactly. definitely know how to do just that. So that's really wonderful of that of that story. I really appreciate that chuffing sound. That's great. It is. And just in case our guests aren't aware of what this sound is, I actually have it ready on my phone. I'm going to put it up to the, to the mic here, Laurie. Let's see if the guests can, can hear a shuffing sound of a tiger. I mean, that sounds like a happy tiger to it me, right? It is a happy tiger, So yes. I can hear that in the headset really well. So if you could describe, does that come from the throat or is that more in the nasal and mouth area? It's towards the nasal mouth area. Yeah, they're kind of just like blowing air as they make that tiny little vocalization. So it's mostly in their nose and mouth, I would say. Speaking of all the different sounds that the tigers make, a lot of people with cats at home, they know they purr. Do tigers purr? Tigers do not purr. So tigers are in the larger classification of cats. So they're in the panthera family mm -hmm. as opposed to the felis family. So the panthera family is referred to as cats that roar, whereas the felis are the cats that can purr. Um, and then right in the middle there are the weirdos, the cheetahs, the <laughs> asinonic cubatas that have their own little special classification and they can kind of do both. But yeah, the tigers don't purr. Lori, you've done such a great job helping us understand the perspective of tigers from your side of it. And I think our audience, you know, people love tigers anyways. You're just making them fall in love with them that much more. This episode is obviously coming out near and around International Tiger Day, or also known as Global Tiger Day, which is to raise awareness for what's going on with tigers in the wild as well. What are some of the great conservation facts you could share about tigers with our audience? Yeah, so um, tigers, as much as we all love them, unfortunately, they are endangered. And this subspecies that we have here, the Sumatrans, are unfortunately critically endangered. There's believed to be less than 500 of them wow. currently in Sumatra. Sad. There's roughly a, around that same amount in human care throughout the world. So one of the obvious things that we do here at the Safari Park to help support the population is to participate in the Species Survival Plan, or SSP. Those are the folks that know the population so well. They know the genetics of every individual and they make their breeding recommendations based on achieving and maintaining the highest degree of genetic diversity within the population as possible. So that's kind of the first and foremost thing that we do here is being part of that breeding program. And of course, you know, all the cats that we have here are also ambassadors for their counterparts in the wild. And so when folks come here and are, you know, sort of taken aback as we all are when we see how magnificent they are, one of the best things you can do for Sumatran tigers is to just be conscious of what it is that you're purchasing. Because for Sumatrans in particular, one of the things that's most challenging for them is habitat fragmentation. And on the island of Sumatra, a lot of that is caused by palm oil plantations. And there's a lot of products out there that contain palm oil. So the most that we can do to either avoid that or use products that utilize sustainable palm oil, it helps to preserve their habitats in the wild and keep the fragmentation from happening so that they can find one another and achieve their own genetic diversity in the island. 
Yeah, that's a very good point, Laurie, too, because, you know, the tigers represent our Asiatic or Asian rainforest hub, and there's a variety of different species, and the tiger is one of our keystone species. I mean, we all know, but helping out a tiger, you're going to help out so many other species. I mean, we have a list, like the Asiatic black bear, you guys know I'm a bird guy, the milky stork, the rhinoceros hornbill, your favorite, the binturong, sir, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we all benefit, and the communities, too, that live side by side in these vibrant rainforests or Siberian habitats, you know, it just speaks to the importance of what we we do so muchísimas gracias buddy <laughs> for taking this time uh, I love you and this has been great oh, so I really appreciate it's it so much fun thank you so much as always when talking to our wildlife care specialists it's great to hear Lori's passion for her work come through as she shared her knowledge and love of tigers with us oh yeah I know what you mean amigo I mean I really appreciate Lori sharing with us that important work with the SSP or the species survival plan and how we really need to be thoughtful when we buy things with palm oil as an ingredient. Oh, so true, Marco. And I want our listeners to know and really understand that being a conscientious consumer can and does make a difference. Palm oil can show up in many different things from food items to lotions and healthcare products. We want to encourage people to look at labels and support brands that use sustainable palm oil. Oh, yeah, that is an excellent point, Rick. And I think now would be a good time to also bring up another challenge tigers face, and that's wildlife trafficking. Mm -hmm. I know that that can seem like an odd term to some people, but it's worth understanding and talking about so we can help tigers and other wildlife too. Uh, yes, great point, Marco. Not always a fun topic to discuss, but it is a topic everyone needs to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for any of our listeners that aren't sure what wildlife trafficking is, essentially, it is the illegal buying, selling, trading, or poaching of wildlife, parts of wildlife, or products with ingredients that come from protected wildlife. And although science has proven that there is no medical value in ground up tiger bone, as an example, or other body parts, wildlife trafficking is still a multi-million dollar industry. And that's exactly why days like International Tiger Day are so important. We can use days like this to collectively raise awareness. And Marco, you pointed out that there is no medicinal or medical value in tiger parts. It's also worth reminding people sometimes trinkets like keychains, necklaces, belt buckles, or other items with animal fur, teeth, or claws or other parts also contribute to wildlife trafficking. It may seem silly to say this, but it bears repeating. These items, the teeth, the claws, the fur, etc., well, they all look much better when left with the original owner. Oh yeah, definitely, buddy. All good points. We can all support tigers by supporting conservation efforts, being thoughtful in what we buy as consumers, and raise awareness about wildlife trafficking so we can save tigers and countless other species in the Asian rainforest hub. Exactly, Marco. I love these international or global days for animals. It's really a lot of fun to join up with everyone and raise awareness for wildlife. Oh, I agree. And uh, guess what? You are in luck, friend. Oh, really? I'm all ears. And maybe a trunk? Huh? World Elephant Day is coming up. Oh, that sounds like a <laughs> ton of fun to me. Let's do it. Ah. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe and tune into our next episode in which Marco and I unpack pachydermy facts and elaborate on elephant information for World Elephant Day. Al próximo, I'm Marco Wendt. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. For more information about the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park, go to sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios. Our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton, and our sound designer and editor is Sierra Spreen. 
For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.